Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the MTG Conflux Cast. My name is John and I'm joined by my co-host Chris. Hey. This week we're going to be talking about cards we're excited to brew with from War of the Spark, as well as a little bit of news um, about the set. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to do our bi-weekly roundup, although in this case we've been gone for an extra week. Chris, why don't you tell us uh, what you've been up to? Well, since uh, even since we took an additional week off, I haven't played any magic at all. Bum, Literally bum, bum. zero. Not even <laughs> online. Nothing. Because I spent most of my time um, in the wonderful world of Fiji. For those of you who don't know where Fiji is, um, look it up. It's far. <laughs> it is, I believe, nine hours ahead of where we are. It's more than that. No, it's, it's 19 I, hours. Oh, 19. I thought you said nine. <laughs> yeah, because I messaged you at one point and you were like, I was like, what time is it there? And you're like, oh, it's like, you know, it was like a few hours off. And I was like, yeah. that's not so bad. And you're like, tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> it's like five hours behind but the next day yeah i was like that's not so bad <laughs> yeah so hopefully my seaman schedule isn't too messed up uh if you think about it from a five-hour perspective it's not the worst i guess but um, yeah. <laughs> for a while i was tr- i was in the future sort yeah. of back to the future uh turns out fiji is um very warm and very humid uh-huh uh-huh uh my first time driving around a right-hand drive country how was that that was uh interesting the the real bamboozle was that the turn signal and windshield wiper switches are on the opposite side of the steering wheel <laughs> so for the first couple of times you're trying to flick the the blinker because you're going to turn and you just turn on your windshield wipers and look like some sort of idiot <laughs> that's awesome wow yeah after listening to that, it wasn't too bad. Uh, as far as driving on the wrong side of the road was concerned, I didn't have any issues with that, mostly because they only have, like, two-lane roads. Ah. Uh. So you're either in the lane you're supposed to be in or the one where cars are coming into you and going to kill you. So it's pretty easy to figure out where you're supposed to be and not be. <laughs> gotcha. The other problem was the roads that are pretty bad. So you had to, like... You're so focused on dodging potholes that you're not really concerned with much of anything else. Honestly, uh, I've been to the big island of Hawaii, and the back roads kind of off the main drags there are the same way. (laughs) Just pothole city. So, Fiji is a rather small nation, and it only has, like, one main highway road where the... So, they have signs going um, periodically throughout said road that say the national maximum speed is 80 kilometers an hour. National? Yeah. So there's nowhere in Fiji where you are legally allowed to drive faster than 80 kilometers an hour. Which is not that fast. Well, it doesn't sound like you're able to drive that fast anyways, so... Yeah, so I mean, some sections of highway are better than others. Some are quite bad. And... it's, It's just because, like, the weather's pretty brutal... So even if they tried to, well, they do try and fix them fairly frequently, I guess. But mm-hmm. every time it rains a lot, the roads just flood, and it's just, but it just, it just the eats road. them up. Yeah, yeah, eats up the yeah, eats up the asphalt. And so any road that isn't the main road is just like a disaster. Like one road <laughs> was basically entirely composed of like filled pothole asphalt. Yeah, 
So, like, it didn't have potholes on it at the time, but it was unbelievably bumpy because it was just, yeah. Just, like, you, piles of asphalt on top of piles of asphalt. Have you ever golfed? No, not really. So, at some golf courses, when you go golfing, you get, like, a little container with, like, sand and seed mix. And it's, like, you carry it with you and you fill in any, like, divots you make. <laughs> so the grass grows back. I just imagine having, like, a little container to, like, fill in the potholes as you drive. <laughs> oh, well, you wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So one place we stayed, we ha- had like a like a one kilometer road that was unpaved, and it was a fucking shit show. Like, and it, it was pouring rain the day we got there. Uh-huh. So my rental car, bless this car, um, this poor little car has probably seen a lot in its day. Um, <laughs> it its windshield wipers were pretty garbage. It didn't clear the rain, it just kind of smeared your windshield, so it made it like even harder to see. Excellent. But if you didn't use them, then the water would just sit on your car, you couldn't see anything, like, <laughs> literal nothing. <laughs> so you could look through, like, smeared glass, or you could just not see. Those were your options. So, going to the first place in the permit was pretty awful, and then the road was, like, half dirt, half gravel, but not, like, half, not, like, the left side, it was just, like, gravel strewn about the road <laughs> you should have just gotten the model with a sunroof and just poked your head out with an umbrella you're tall <laughs> enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i would have like broke my teeth on the sunroof going over the potholes <laughs> so that the problem is in the rain you have no idea how deep a pothole is uh-huh <laughs> so that led for some interesting uh interactions there uh, so your car doesn't have a suspension anymore well i mean you go real slow, but <laughs> sometimes you sink deeper than you really wanted to. Uh-huh. And, and then, luckily, no other cars were coming the other way, because it was, like, not really wide enough for two cars to comfortably pass each other. Great. <laughs> so one would have to, like, kind of hide in the bushes for a little bit while the other one passed. I see. <laughs> God. But, um, it's it's, you know, it's a beautiful place. It's... It feels kind. It felt kind of like, um, like an old Hawaii. If that makes any sense. That makes yeah. I can imagine that perfectly. Old Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. It's like go to a whole, any any part of Hawaii where the the buildings are kind of a little older, and, you know, kind of tattered, and then think about that same building in like forty years. Gotcha. And that's what a, a lot of it is. It's like yeah, tropical weather is just brutal on any kind of civilization yeah Fiji's an interesting place because there's like there's like you know the actual country of Fiji and then there's like the little oasis that is the um like the tourist resort area Mm -hmm. and so I didn't actually stay at any of the high-end resorts because I'm a cheap boy (laughs) (laughs) so I got to experience a little more of the uh the quote real Fijian experience Mm. slightly more I mean, I was still in a, you know, hotel-ish type of accommodation. But, um, yeah, as it turns out, no magic is played in VG. Surprising, I'm sure. Bummer. Magic uh, online. <laughs> yeah, luckily I did have internet on my phone. I purchased a temporary SIM card. But uh, I do not have the ability to play magic online on my phone, so no magic for me. What language was your SIM card provider? Was it an English company, or...? It was Vodafone. Okay. 
yeah, we got a we got a French SIM card when we went abroad, and so I was just getting inundated with French language text messages all the time. It's like, well, I don't know what the fuck any of this means. Huh. <laughs> just guess I'll delete this. <laughs> yeah, Fiji is a um, it used to be a British colony. Uh huh. So English is pretty widespread. Gotcha. It's. I don't want to go out and say that everyone knows English, because I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it seems by and large everyone pretty much knows enough English for you to talk, to, talk with it's them. Advantages of speaking English and traveling abroad, I guess. Yeah. Advantages of um, Britain colonizing everything. Yeah. <laughs> and destroying much of um, the local governments and whatnot. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Moving on from MTG Fiji cast. <laughs> so, uh, how how was your uh, magical experience the past few weeks, John? Uh, it's been a wild ride, I guess. I've let Kevin sucker me into playing a lot of very bad decks. Um, in a surprise the, to be sure. The intervening weeks, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, last F the F before last, I believe I brought blue white Belcher. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. A staple um, in the uh, FNM meta. Yeah, I lost O2 to Infect pretty predictably and didn't drop a game against anything else. <laughs> uh, the deck was sweet. I think I killed people with Belcher twice. Maybe a little bit more than that. It was a little bit more than that, I think. Maybe three times. Uh, but yeah, sweet deck. Um Endless Horizons is a pretty cool card advantage engine in a control deck. Um, you know, making it's like a Phyrexian Arena that draws you a land and a non-land every turn. So that's that's pretty pretty sweet. So I'm guessing you never got blown out by them killing Endless Horizons. Um, I think an opponent had a chance to do so, but the tempo loss on their part of doing it was never worth it. I ended up in this really long grindy match against rug uh control and our game one took over 30 minutes i think it was a really long game one and it was just like he was having to like um like cryptic command every turn to like deal with what i had going on um like bouncing stuff but not stuff that was endless horizons and he just eventually just like ran out of interaction and died <laughs> um and then the next game it was like i mana leaked his tarmogoyf on two or no he had a tap land so i i mana leaked his tarmogoyf on his third turn and then untapped played a kitchen finks uh he like bolt snap bolted the kitchen finks and then i made a ton of tokens with secure the waste and held up removal and just like killed him with secure the waste tokens <laughs> basically just like tempoed him out of the game and i was like wow that was really fun i like doing that i like like mana leak into kitchen finks and to kill you <laughs> so last week i brought blue white midrange <laughs> to fnm um and that's like super sweet if like restoration angel wall of omens is like a card advantage engine and then kitchen finks is like um you know life gain beater uh just kind of uh, pseudo card advantage engine as well um 
and I ended up like losing to the really grindy Grixis deck. Like I searched for his cant, I got out of hand that I couldn't deal with one game. And then I played in like the it's gotta be like high 60 card mirror. Like we were I think like four or five cards off in the main deck and then a few cards off in the board. And um I won I wanna say game one and then got him to one life game two and lost and then i think like two game two life in game three and lost <laughs> and i like definitely like underutilized my resources and um like you know how they talk people talk about like tilting from being ahead rather than like tilting from being like behind i don't know if you've ever heard about like people talking about that kind of tilt like the oh how could i possibly lose this game and then, and then like, you somehow do and then you do because you play loose like that's basically another form of tilt i think i basically did that in both the post board games and that was pretty frustrating i mean i was having fun i was like chatting with the guy and you know i was having a good time but i definitely don't think i like played correctly um i like had him in a situation where he was like behind on mana and i was like cryptic bouncing his like colonnade eot just to like push damage and like keep him behind on mana and like it definitely was a very strong tempo play and kept him really behind in the game but then he managed to stabilize and i just lost all the potential card advantage i could have had from just like you know using cryptic command as a two for one rather than a tempo spell mm. um so that was kind of frustrating so i was like really kind of like trying to reflect on on you know how i how i played at the match so i'm trying to decide if i want to you know keep running the deck back or not it's always like it's such a sweet deck i want to keep playing it but it's like you know there's always some other like tantalizing deck out there um there's always another pile there's always another pile and speaking of other piles <laughs> uh kevin and i were playing with another friend of ours on moto the other day and he was kind of like spectating us and we're on the the moto account that we you know like spitball random decks on and he's like you guys should build a deck without blue in it and we're both like uh, look at the list of decks we have on the account and literally every deck has blue in it <laughs> yeah and we're like how do we build a non-blue deck without buying any cards and so we built mono white charfilter <laughs> without buying any cards on the account and we didn't have any o-rings on the account and kevin was like adamant that we shouldn't buy anything even though it was a card we could have gotten like basically for free from a vendor we already had credit with <laughs> and like we also like probably could have really used like a condemn or two like some you know like fifth or sixth like path to exile effect and so i think we actually had an oust in the deck i think we had one oust on the account <laughs> so the deck was just like mono four drops <laughs> it was terrible just a god-awful fucking pile of a deck and so we queue up and our opponent is playing we we joined the just for fun room and our opponent is playing probably one of the most aggressively bad modern decks i've ever seen and i really do mean this i think i actually think that the um the death touch spider so like shivan dragon deck is better than this deck Wow. <laughs> it's just like it was like a really we realized it might have been game two i think when we realized that our opponent was actually trying to be a mill deck 
I see. Um, they were like playing like a creature that like lets you look at the top of target player's deck and then like put it in the graveyard. And we were like, is he like, what is he like? Is he like, we couldn't figure out why he was trying to like control our draws. And we're like, shouldn't he be using that on himself to like try to filter his draws out? And then he played some other card. So the, the first game started where this guy put a ley line of singularity into play. And okay. his seventy and his is seventy card deck, I think. Okay, okay, but so to, to be <laughs> to be clear, you're playing in like the just for fun room or some shit, right? Yeah, yeah, like the yeah the just for fun room. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the, the it's not like we're in we're in league territory or anything. So yeah, yeah. So our opponent had this leyline of sanctity or not? Like, sorry, leyline of singularity. They started in play, and it makes everything you know legendary. Legendary. Yeah. We had three restoration angels in our hand that game. <laughs> our opponent did not realize it but that card like, got some pretty insane value for him because <laughs> he would have died a lot faster otherwise <laughs> um and he was playing like the the specter that like you know hits your opponent and then like flips some cards off their deck and then you can like cast them and so like a lot of the cards he was playing were like you know kind of like applicable and non-milling ways yeah, but we realized eventually that the the common theme of the pile was like it was slowly chipping away at the size of our deck over time, and we're like, oh, oh, okay, that's what he's trying to do. Wow, that's really bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like the softest softball we could have gotten for the mono white Belcher deck. Um, and so we're like, yep, great, we're never playing that fucking pile again. And so. Uh, a couple of days later, Kevin messages me when I'm at work. Uh, I guess it must have been yesterday he messaged me then since today's Tuesday. I think it must have been yesterday. He said he queued up with the deck and he wanted to play in the Just for Fun room again. And he accidentally queued into the competitive practice or the tournament practice room and got paired against Dredge and oh, crushed them. <laughs> And I guess this opponent, like, salted off pretty bad and, like, AFK'd instead of scooping or, like, passing priorities so he could, you know, die to Kevin. <laughs> and, yeah, Kevin Kevin was eating it up. He was extremely excited to uh, to best best a uh, a competitive modern deck with this little... It was like, Jake, you know... It's, trade it's like binder trade, deck. Trade yeah. binder deck. Like, cards... Yeah, white cards we own. Like the curve on this deck, I think we had like three or four three drops and like twelve four drops in the deck. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> the curve is just like a cliff. <laughs> like we just don't have any three drops, like in white. We had some talismans in there, right? Oh, I think there was five. I think he put five talismans in the deck to try to alleviate the issue. <laughs> it goes from two to four. So good. yeah, just just skip over those three drops altogether. <laughs> And it was like, you know, it was kind of like some of the between the blue white midrange and the Belcher deck where it's like Kitchen Finks, Restoration Angel, Shenanigans, and um Wall of Omens and We had no way to like filter through the deck though. <laughs> like no serum visions here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like I think we only owned like one Wrath of God. But we had two settle the wreckage, even though we kind of wanted another wrath of god <laughs> and so we didn't have enough cards for a full sideboard so we played um we played this like one in a white instant speed gain three life draw a card card <laughs> 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 
Uh, soft draw card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for two. Like, yeah, that, that went in the deck. Um, like, we literally sorted out, like, all the white cards we had in the collection and just kind of browsed through and, like, whew, we had some heinous garbage from, like, the free crap that Watsy just gives you when you make an account. Um, like, we were, like, seriously considering putting Snubhorn sentries in the sideboard. I think we had two of those, and those, like, those didn't make the cut. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was an egregious pile. But uh, it has two match wins under its uh, under its belt. I don't know if Kevin played it anymore. Maybe it's a 2-0 deck right now. Maybe it has never lost. Oh, my God. <laughs> Put it to bed now, I'll <laughs> Uh, Yeah. So that was, that's been my, my magical experience the last few weeks, playing bad white decks, I guess. I guess they've all had white in them. <laughs> so, uh... God, Blue-Eyed Belcher was already a galaxy brain. But the old, ye old mono-white Belcher. Not with any of the, like, ag- so there is actually a mono-white Belcher deck. I, I, I didn't want to look at the list and be sad, but Kevin kind of knew of it. Um, and it sounds like we are not playing very many of the cards that actually make that deck, like... I want to use air quotes here. A good deck. <laughs> we were not vaguely this. considerable yeah. to be played. My life for an O ring, jeez! Like, really want an O ring effect in that kind of deck. Like the blue white versions are playing Detention Sphere in some number, and we just had dick. <laughs> good God. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, moving away from Jank into something slightly less related uh we're gonna be looking today for our main topic at cards that are coming up in war of the spark which has now been fully spoiled pre-release is uh this saturday in the a.m for the midnight pre-releases um i think i'm actually gonna be going to my first pre-release in a long time i got invited by some friends who are a little bit more casual players who wanted to do it together so i figured you know what midnight pre-release it's probably going to have less casual players. I won't feel so bad. I really don't like playing against casual players because I always feel like I'm cheating them by knowing how the rules work. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out everything does not, in fact, happen at sorcery speed. Um, <laughs> so... Something, something, when do I have priority? Nah. Yeah, priority is extremely nebulous when playing with newer players. Um, so... Yeah, I've been actually kind of looking at the set with a little bit more critical of an eye than just like, usually I'm just kind of like, well, we'll see where it shakes out, and then I'll like actually care when some cards start making themselves known. And so I've just been kind of toying with different cards in the set. And of course, my brain got, you know, churning on potential applications in modern. So Chris and I are going to talk about some cards that we like conceptually at the very least. So some of these cards are cards that we like, but we don't think are quite good enough for modern. And some of them are cards that we are pretty confident are good, or at least almost good enough. <laughs> um, I'm going to let you go first, Chris, because I know that you've been really excited to talk about this extremely powerful new addition to Amulet. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about Arboreal Grazer? <laughs> also known as Sloth Boy. Yeah, one Ricci Boy. Yeah, one Ricci boy. <laughs> so, I have been away, but I did have internet on my phone, so I poked my head into the old Amula Discord here and there. And what other card were they talking about other than good old Sloth Boy? And I think even on Reddit, some people were saying, oh, you know, this is just better than Secure Trap Scout. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that one. <clears throat> I guess we should tell the the listeners what the card does in case they're in a place where they can't uh, look so it up. For Wouldn't those want people pulling their. Know what what <laughs> sloth boy does? He's a single green mana with a zero. He's a zero three. It has reach, and it says when it comes to play, you may put a land card into the battlefield tapped. A land card, which is a uh, pretty cool, not a basic. Yeah, any land card from your and hand he, into play tapped. And he just has the most adorable doofy art. So people are saying like, oh, well, you know, screw tribe scout. You play it on turn one for a green mana and they just lightning bolt it and you didn't do anything with your mana. You didn't accelerate. It was terrible. But if you played sloth boy, you could put a crew into play on turn one. Ah, ah. And yeah. then if they bolt it, like, they're not even going to bolt it. It's so, like, who's going <laughs> to bolt one reachy boy, right? <laughs> it's an elvish pioneer that can actually block things. Yeah, I mean, it has reach, which is pretty sweet. Um, You know, all the time you're dying to these stupid flying things, like, you know, Arclight Phoenixes and, well. <laughs> Mostly that. That's, that's of a crackling drake is it also a good chump, Um, good thing to chump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... The thing is, this is not an explorer. No. No, it is not. <laughs> so, people, oh, explore's so bad, it's too bad. Okay, sure, explore's two mana. But it puts the card into play untapped. If the land comes into play untapped. Why is this important? Well, what you can do with playing explorer is you can have these really, like, really interesting cantrip-heavy turns. So... You can even go, like, turn one, tap land, turn two, amulet, bounce land, return the tap land, play explorer, replay the tap land, untap it, and then use it to play something else, like a stirrings. Mm. Grazer doesn't let you do that without an amulet. This does have better synergy with amulet, though, right? Well, does it? Why does it? Like, what land do you have that comes into play untapped that you would rather come into play tapped? So, it, only under the circumstances where you have two ambulances is this card better. Right? I guess, yeah. And so if you have two amulets and you play this thing and to put a balance land in play, it's a plus, it's like a plus three ritual. But if you went turn one scout, turn two amulet with a balance land, you make four mana, not three. So this would be a single green mana ritual that makes three. You should call it Bark Ritual. <laughs> Sloth Ritual? I don't know. So, uh, like, the, ex <laughs> the explosiveness is not really there. Yeah. So, like, the thing is, Sloth Boy doesn't really... The ceiling is is far, 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 far lower mm -hmm. than Scout. And the floor is higher if you have a land in your hand. I guess you can say that the floor is always better because a 0-3 is better than a 1-1. One, one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think the floor you want to be at in Amulet is blocking. <laughs> I mean... I mean, that, that is an important thing of, for, for Scout to do, to be able to block. Yeah. I mean, I guess the most the, the, the real advantages this card gets is in blocking stuff with two power. And I, I'm trying to think, like, what really relevant two power attackers there are in the format right now other than Goblin Guide. 
there aren't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. sure, it'll block a meddling mage, I guess. An Eidolon. <laughs> but I feel like most of the decks that have random 2-2s that you're actually giving a shit about blocking don't have very good ways to interact with your scout. Like, humans does not have a good way to interact with the Tribe scout at all. Yeah. And then your scout gets to sit there and just, you know, build your own Summer Bloom. Right? Mm-hmm. Also, the, the tricksy plays you don't get to do. Either. Yeah, the instant speed bounce my land that you targeted with Karn. <laughs> yeah, so in a world of, like, Mono Red Phoenix being like the most played deck sure maybe this card is better against the decks playing gut shots it is much like better that. against gut shot yeah but even blue red phoenixes they're off what, gut shot like, now they're on what, they're on surgicals like what percent of the field is blue red like i just don't think the meta is at a point still to make this card better than secret tribe scout Mm-hmm. Maybe your local meta is so infested with gunshots that this card is better for you. Then sure, go ahead, play it. I mean, you could even play it as like additional ramp pieces if you are so inclined. But um, I don't know. I, the card is is worth looking at, I think. But ultimately, I am of the opinion that it's probably not. I, I guess the important question is: is what what numbers of of these one mana and you know enablers are you playing right now? You're obviously playing four scouts. How yeah. many sky sky shroud rangers are you playing? Zero. Zero. So you're not playing any other one mana rampers. Yeah, and and when I did play one sky shroud ranger as like the fifth dork, it felt terrible. Do you think this makes the cut as a better fifth? Uh, I don't. I don't think it's a very strong argument that it's a better one through four, right? No. So is it a better fifth I, okay, than so... Sky Shroud Ranger? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Close. I guess in more aggressive metas, it's uh, it starts to look a bit more attractive as a as a fifth, because in in the more aggressive metas, you also want to be faster, right? Yeah, so the the scout is I haven't really sat down and done the math, but I think Scout is more likely to yield you a turn three Titan than than this guy. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that the scout can net you two mana. Like the sloth can never net you two mana. Right? Because if you play it and put a bounce in play, you only ramped yourself by one. Not by yeah. two. And if you play it to put a bounce into play, you paid one to play it. So you've only ramped yourself by one, not by mm-hmm. two. Yeah. So it its ceiling just isn't there. Like with two amulets, sure. If you go turn one amulet, turn two amulet, then it's... I feel like you have a hard time losing with two amulets in play in general, though. Yeah. I mean, with two amulets, like... Anything is possible. <laughs> any ramp spell of any kind... Will kill your opponent on turn two. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you went. Yeah. Like. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. So, anything else you want to say on Arboreal Grazer? It's cute. Probably 
not quite there. Now, do you mean cute as in the art or cute as in too cute of a card? Why not both? Yeah. <laughs> so um, moving on from, from cute cards, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with something that is decisively less cute. Um, and that is uh, Big Bad Nicol Bolas, Dragon God himself. Um, I was really excited when I saw this card because he's a Nicol Bolas Planeswalker with a lot of text that only costs five mana. And I would love to have, uh, you know, a Grixis colored playable walker for modern. And this card, I'll just, I'll lay it out real quick for the listeners so that no one pulls out their cell phone while driving and kills themselves. <laughs> it is a uh, one, uh, sorry, it is a uh, blue, black, 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 red. So five mana for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker bolus. And he has the text, Nicobolus, Dragon God, has all loyalty abilities of all other Planeswalkers on the battlefield. And I'll just start there, we'll break it down line by line. I feel like, realistically speaking, in Modern, there are not going to be very many Planeswalkers hanging around on the battlefield, besides Nicobolus. I think the most likely two that you're going to encounter are Liliana the Veil vale and uh, Seven Mana Karn. I think that's probably a pretty safe assumption, right? I mean, maybe Teferi, I guess, is, yeah, maybe is pretty common these days. And that's actually a pretty interesting point because um, part of my kind of analysis of this card is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be comparing Nicol Bolas to Teferi with the rest of his abilities. Uh, they're both five mana walkers, um, I, and uh, I think they can kind of be compared. And um, so his next ability is a, is a plus one. So it says you draw a card. Pretty good start. And it says each opponent exiles a card from their hand or a permanent they control. So Nicobolus's plus one is basically always a two for one. And if it's not, you are definitely winning the game <laughs> because yeah. your opponent has no permanents and no hand. So uh yeah, that's a pretty good place to be. Um his plus one is comparable to to fairies in that it's drawing you a card. Um, so they both they're both five mana planeswalkers that start at four loyalty. Um and they both plus one to draw a card. Uh Nicol Bolas gets a second card out of your opponent instead of getting a soul ring effect, basically. So um Teferi's giving you a little bit more mana. Nicol Bolas is uh is giving you you know that extra card. Okay, so that's would you say roughly comparable, I guess, in terms of just broad broad utility? Sort of. I I would say that the Bolus is probably stronger on turns after you've untapped with it, but Teferi is probably... Untapping lands is probably more where you want to be the turn you play it. On turn 5, yeah, definitely. Okay. I think that's pretty fair. Because then you can play it on turn, you know, what? Uh, 7, and he'll hold up Cryptic Command after the 2 mana? Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Whereas this guy, turn 7, gets you a 2 Negate. mana counter spell, <laughs> which, unless counter spell is reprinted, not much yeah so he's uh he's a little harder to protect the turn you deploy him which is actually very important in modern he also has less loyalty right no, they, bo they, they both start at four. Oh, is it both at four okay. and and that's actually i'm gonna get into that a little bit later there is a third option that actually starts with a little bit more loyalty and i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to that at the end though and so they both have minus threes um nicobolus dragon god says destroy target creature or planeswalker 
So he just Doomblade something. <laughs> uh, he, he dread boars. He dread boars. Yeah, he's a dread boar. Minus three dread boar. Very red black. Uh, it's very tux a non-land permanent third from the top. So Nicobolus actually gets rid of stuff, but he doesn't hit everything because Grixis doesn't really usually get that ability. Um, you know, they're kind of they can't really touch enchantments a lot of the time. Um, but Teferi in blue white has the option to you know make basically anything go away for a little while. So. I'm not sure which one's honestly better here. Um, I like that Nicol Bolas just destroys permanently. Um, but I think, realistically speaking, Teferi is basically destroying most of the time, right? Yeah, so I don't know how often tucking whatever it is ends up coming back to kill you. Mm-hmm. And one thing to note is Nicol Bolas can't do the super obnoxious... Um, Tuck my own Teferi tuck himself so I can't deck myself. Exactly, yeah. So that bullshit's not an option. <laughs> uh, which is probably good for the game, but technically not as good for the card because you have less play options. <laughs> yeah. But good riddance. Um, and then they both have an ultimate in minus eight. And both of them effectively say, you win the game. Nicobolus is quite literally says you win the game. It says each opponent who doesn't control a legendary creature or planeswalker loses the game. So since he destroys creatures and planeswalkers of his minus, and you're playing a Grixis colored control deck, it's quite unlikely your opponent will have one of those. So he gets to negate to basically win the game on the spot. Teferi's negate is a little slower. You get an emblem of whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. It takes longer, but it's basically a minus eight. You win the game. Yeah, paired with a Jace, it's pretty gross. Yeah. So. These Planeswalkers both kind of follow the pattern. I think it was Obnixilis that we first saw this with, where you get a, a five mana walker, plus one to draw some cards, minus three to kill something, and then it's got, I, th- I don't know if it's always been a minus eight, but it's usually a big minus to effectively win the game. Or you really put yourself over the top. Yeah, right? some ultimate ability. Yeah. Now the big difference here is these Planeswalkers have almost always been three and then two colored mana sources. Nicobolus is five specific colored sources so <laughs> he is extremely difficult to cast and if you look at the mana bases of most grixis decks that are floating around these days they're playing about three fetchable black sources so he doesn't really fit into current modern grixis mana bases very well since they only have those three fetchable black sources so you have to really kind of do a, a, a redesign on the, on the mana and you don't get to play stuff like you know, Anger of the Gods and your Nicol Bolas Dragon God deck if you're also playing Cryptic Command, which I think you really do want to play Cryptic Command on a Grixis deck. Yeah. I, I guess red becomes a very light splash if you're playing yeah. this card. I think you just maybe two to three Lightning Bolts and, and Colgon's Command probably at that point. I mean, quite light. Can't really afford to play Shatterstorm in the board at that point probably either. It to find some sort of other artifact hate more braids or something maybe i don't know <laughs> but um so the card as i was thinking about you know wanting to play nicobolas dragon god and grixis i started comparing him to the new raw um raw is advice roy i'm gonna uh i'm gonna pull him up here real quick so i can compare uh let's see here so they're both five mana planeswalkers, um, and they I I've realized they actually do extremely similar things, um, which surprised me at first because I didn't really think about them that way. 
Um, so they're both five mana. Raw is three blue, red, and he starts at five loyalty instead of four. So he gets a free extra loyalty. Um, and he, when he pluses, you get to look at two cards and you take one and the other goes in the graveyard. So it's never a two for one like Nicol Bolas, but you get better selection in putting cards in your graveyard is actually pretty decent in a, in a Grixis deck. Um, you know, you could be delving or snapping or Colgon's commanding. So that's actually... It's not. A, it's definitely not even close to a two for one. It's maybe like a a, a one and a one and a tenth, a one and a quarter. <laughs> maybe like a one point two. I don't know. Yeah, it's it it's it's there, right? It's a little bit more value. Um, and his minus three says he deals target damage to target creature equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards you own in exile and your graveyard, which I think usually basically reads destroy target creature. So, by the time this is in play, yeah. Yeah, by the time this is in play, this, this is basically, you know, he's basically killing something, a creature. Most creatures, almost all creatures. So, again, he's a little bit more limited. He doesn't kill walkers, but you can basically say their minus three both says kill a creature. Um, and, again, Bolas has a little bit more flexibility, where he can also slap down a planeswalker. And then Raw also has a minus eight that effectively wins the game. He says, you get an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell... This emblem deals four damage to any target, and you draw two cards. And let me tell you, this game, win- this card wins the game in a fucking hurry. Uh, it does not last very long after you minus a raw, especially if it doesn't kill him in the process. Um, and so raw also ults a full turn earlier than Nicolas, which is pretty important in a faster format like Modern, I think. So, as I was thinking about it, obviously Nicolas's abilities are just better than Raw's, right? Um, he's always getting a two for one, which I think is easily much better than a little bit better selection in a card in a graveyard. He always gets his creature, even though Rawl sometimes doesn't. And he also has the ability to just slap down a planeswalker, which can actually be a really difficult type to deal with. And sometimes in, in Grixis decks that aren't very creature heavy, um, cause they're not usually playing a lot of burn. Um, so if anything kind of slips through the counter magic or discard, um, you can actually kind of have some trouble getting rid of planeswalkers. Uh, Nicobolus makes it a lot easier for you. And obviously his minus eight effectively winning the game on the spot, you know, 90 some percent of the time is definitely better than winning the game very soon. Winning the game immediately is better than winning the game in a turn or two. So Nicobolus is yeah. definitely a much more powerful <laughs> card. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, Nicobolus is like quite the arousing card for all those people trying to play uh, the Oath of Nyssa doubling season decks. Oh yeah, definitely. It just literally says win the game. I guess Jason Architect of Thought is basically the same card in that scenario, but uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I realized Raw is at Viceroy is you know just eminently more more castable than than Nicol Bolas. I think I think casting Nicol Bolas on five is just you're doing some really dumb shit to your mana. Or you right. happen like, to draw like your tar pits or something. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see how you regularly cast this guy on five and have a functional mana base that can also cast cryptic command, right? Like, like what's is what's the blue black filter land? <laughs> oh my god, um, I don't even know off the top of my head. It's, it's the it's the merfolk one, right? Or no? No, it's is it the fairy one? Yeah, the fairy one. I, I yeah, I yeah. Because you're certainly not playing um, Graven Karens. Yeah, it's no, no way. So I just, I just don't think this Nicol Bolas is is very castable. I can tell you, if I open one 
at the pre-release i will be attempting to play it at modern the next week <laughs> for sure but uh i i just don't don't see it being really reliable and you know what i i feel like you get you know 90 percent of the utility out of raw is advice roy if you really want a five mana walker right that does these things although we'll see how hilarious will it be for the guy to show up playing oath of nisitron and to cast nickel bowls after their karn and plus four of their nickel bowls oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Oof. the next turn they just o stone you and minus eight <laughs> yeah no thanks that sounds awful i guess that wouldn't work because you also would kill your nickel bowls too hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so uh yeah i think nickel bolus dragon god is unfortunately a bit of a reach and i think a lot of people are going to be really excited by this card like i was and i think it might be a little bit better to temper your expectations and actually just look towards raw as a viceroy is a much more um uh, reliable card and you know what i think a lot of people have been realizing that raw is a lot more powerful and modern than people originally gave it credit for um it's it's showing up in you know sideboards of uh phoenix and in sometimes in the main deck of these uh blue red moon decks which are kind of fallen by the wayside even uh kevin our swans aficionado is really starting to like raw is at viceroy a lot more than he initially did um he's really kind of come around on the card lately he likes the things that it does quite a bit um, and in fact, I've actually seen some Grixis decks online that have actually started playing the card main deck as kind of a more Planeswalker heavy build that has Jace and Rawl. So I'm a little bit disappointed that Nickel Bolas isn't everything I thought it was going to be cracked up to be. And, you know, I could still be wrong. Maybe someone will figure the mana out, but I think it's... But I guess I even... So, like, to me, it's like, oh, story-wise, Nickel Bolas is supposed to be this unbelievably, absurdly powerful being, right? Mm -hmm. And this just doesn't feel that way to me. It's really hard to get that feeling without having the card cost oodles of mana, right? Uh, the old Nicol Bolas Planeswalkers had a lot more of a, like, holy crap feel to them, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember it was the original Nicol Bolas just plus threes to destroy a non-creature permanent. Like, <laughs> just goes straight up to eight loyalty. He minus twos to mind control something. Yeah. <laughs> And then I think he like uh It's like a cruel tomatum cr yeah. kind of, but it's like S with sevens. Seven yeah. <laughs> seven damage, discard seven, sacrifices seven permanents for minus nine. So you plus him twice, then minus him. <laughs> um And then and he doesn't think, even go away. He's just like still around. Yeah. So Yeah, I don't know. Nicol Bolas has traditionally had very expensive incarnations until we got uh the creature the cheaper creature necrobolus and in, in, in origins um so i think it's hard to make him feel super badass and powerful and have him still be like playable and i think watsy's really wanting the story cards to be playable at this point in standard and i think this card is pretty good in standard it still has to compete with teferi though at least as long as teferi's still in the format um so that's a little bit of a bummer but I think the mana is actually quite good in standard right now, and they're not really as reliant on just dropping Nicol Bolas on five every game. Yeah. They don't... It doesn't need to come down ASAP. Yeah, whereas in modern, it's... You need to kind of leverage your high power plays if you're playing this type of deck, you know, on time, on a regular basis. I think it's kind of hard to do so, unfortunately. 
so it's a bit of a bummer because i keep wanting to you know have grixis be a bit more playable again but i think it's got some some issues going on with its ability to deal with you know non-creature uh permanence and uh it's uh mana base being a little bit painful especially if you're trying to shoehorn nickel bolus into your deck <laughs> a lot of it painful yeah so um you were talking about cards that are you know very powerful and traditionally those cards are quite expensive um your other card on your list uh is a card that seems to imply that you would want to spend a lot of mana on it <laughs> yeah so um, i think people were saying oh what about greens on zenith and modern horizons and i think that's not going to happen definitely because it's well banned um <laughs> yeah but how about this almost green sun zenith finale of devastation yeah now, this one's a doozy <laughs> i do think this is the only vaguely playable finale in modern i guess finale of promise like people are saying you can you can use it with a living end or whatever but isn't electro dominance just better I, it's interesting with phoenix because it casts them right yeah but like how did you get it you're, you're i think you're overloading your faithless lootings at that point yeah it does get you three spells in one go which is kind of nice but eh, that was eh. The, the angle i saw i think it's still too clunky but that was the angle i saw it i think as. three mana is a lot to ask from that deck yeah and it's a do nothing card until then mm -hmm, exactly um yeah i'm not i'm not sold but <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh finale devastation what we were originally talking about it is X two green, search your library for and or graveyard for a creature card. Current mana cost X or less. Put it into the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. If X is ten or more, creatures you control get plus ten plus ten, or plus X plus X, which I'm assuming would be ten, and um, <laughs> gain haste until end of turn. Yeah, it's a sorcery. This <laughs> card. So, uh, the interesting thing, it's like. Kind of like Green Sun Zenith, it's like green mana plus X, and you go get a thing that costs X or less. The difference being it's two green, not one. Which is a big deal, obviously. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure indexed that one specific cards that Green Sun Zenith was really good in, so like Legacy Elves and Modern Elves, I don't think you want this card. Because I'm pretty sure Court of Calling is just more efficient in getting what sense. you want. Because having a random idiot sitting around for the Convoke is probably not a very big cost. And it being an instant is probably a higher upside than having XB 10 or more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess this will get back one creature from the graveyard as well. So, you know, for three mana, you can go get a Heritage Jewish from the graveyard plus an Edel Sentinel from your graveyard. Or one from my room from the graveyard, blah, blah, blah. And do some cute things. But, um... Oh, it's and or? Yeah. Whoa. So obviously... I missed, I missed that. <laughs> I thought it was just an, 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 an or, but it's an and or. Oh, wow. So obviously I look at everything through the lens of Amulet. And um, <laughs> let me tell you, for 12 mana, which is not as unheard of as you may think, you can reanimate a Titan that has been killed and get a Titan from your deck, and they get plus 10, plus 10 in haste. <laughs> oh, baby. Oof. Oh, baby. 
I mean, I guess at that point you can get back literally anything from your graveyard and give it plus 10 plus 10, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Hornet Queen? <laughs> yeah, who cares? Whatever. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing that you're kind of having in your deck that costs more than 10 mana that you can't get. Hell, you could even get Zakama if you really wanted to, but you wouldn't <laughs> get to untap your lands because you didn't cast it from your hand, so there you go, Zakama's oh, still bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I... I can see it potentially sneaking its way in. It's definitely something I want to be trying out. Um, because while you do have four packs, four titans, the deck is still slightly threat light. And so we've seen decks moving to act towards Hivemind recently. Well, I'll talk more about that later, I suppose. And so this card might replace those two additional, like, quote-unquote threats. Gotcha. But uh, you know, o- overall, it's not the second coming of Green Sun Zenith. No. But I mean, 8 mana for Prime Titan is perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one less mana than transmuting for a back for it, which is a thing that you do fairly frequently. So uh, I can see it being a thing. And being able to reanimate one as well, like two Titans, it's pretty pretty insane. Because you can get two Titans for 8 mana. Right? That's, <laughs> that's pretty batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty gross. And so if you had one, you know, if one Titan died, don't you have enough mana to get X is 10? Or like, you know, semi-reasonable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Seems sweet. Yeah, it's probably a little bit more decent and like a more, like, smaller creature-oriented deck too, right? Yeah, it's probably fine. Like, playing it in some kind of, you know, cord-ish deck, it's probably not bad. Um, it might be even better in a uh, interaction-heavy format. So if you say you're playing Vizier combo, right? For four mana, you can go get both halves of the combo: one from Back from the Dead, one from your your, uh, your library. Right? It's pretty. It's pretty good. The problem is, it is a sorcery, so you have to wait for summoning sickness to wear off. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> now, if you just sink the full twelve, and they have haste, and you just get to go off. The question is, how do you have 12 mana without already being going off? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you aren't. Yeah. Not in that deck, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in, um, like, the elf deck, it's kind of like a a bad crater hoof behemoth. Mm-hmm. You could just cast it for 12 mana and not get anything at all, and <laughs> still <laughs> give your creatures plus, you know, 10-10 haste. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see elf players trying this card out. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it is a mythic, so it's probably going to be a million dollars in yeah. foil. <laughs> yeah, so you're never going to test it in amulet. Uh, we don't know that. <laughs> Online, it's, it's going in day one. M- maybe uh, maybe they'll uh, print a promo of it and you get a cheap foil. Mm. <laughs> Unlikely. Yeah, unlikely. This card looks like a card that should have been an Exelon. It's the art. It has a dinosaur on it. It's just a big dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that uh, Watley is involved somehow. I don't think Ix- or I don't think a Monkit had any dinosaurs on it. Nor does uh, Ravnica. <laughs> Ravnica has many things, but dinosaurs were not were not one of them. I guess dinosaurs are really a thing anywhere other than... <laughs> yeah. 
Ixalan. Ixalan. They, they weren't even really a thing in Ixalan if standard is anything to judge by. <laughs> I mean, they were they were there in Limited. <laughs> in Limited, yes. Territorial Ter- Hammer Skull. Hammer Skull, yes! What a card. What a card. Oh, man. You know, uh, that almost made it into our uh, Mono White Belcher sideboard. That's <laughs> sweet. We had a few hammer skulls floating around. I think it's also like a three drop, right? Which is a big yeah, plus. Yeah, it's a three mana two three. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, it gets in there. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta beat down. Just uh. anyway, yeah. Speaking of flexible cards, <laughs> the next card that I'm looking at is uh, Tyrant Scorn. It's a uh, blue and a black for an instant. It is modal. Choose one. Destroy target creature with converted mana cost three or less. And the other mode is return target creature to its owner's hand. So for blue and a black, you get a worse fatal push that also has the ability to bounce bigger stuff. So it's a worse smother is what it is. Yes, that's fair. It's a worse smother. Ish. And it's a worse unsummon. Was Smother an instant or was it a sorcery? Yeah, it was instant. Smother had can't be regenerated as well. Ah, yes. Crucial line of text right there. <laughs> so uh, this card's interesting though. I've been on kind of a modal card kick lately where I've been really fascinated with modal cards. Imagine the brain blast moment I had when I realized that Lightning Bolt is actually a uh, a one mana modal spell that has three modes. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of a a galaxy brain moment I had. <laughs> I'd actually kind of like to see Lightning Bolt templated like that. <laughs> Choose one. <laughs> Choose one. Yeah, yeah. That is a, a much much uh, longer, more uh, more lengthy way of saying what the card has always said, <laughs> especially the original version. I think it just said deal three damage, right? <laughs> or something. Deal like. two damage to anything, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Tyrant Scorn is interesting to me because it's it's modal, but I think this probably comes up a little short in modern, right? Like, like you said, it's, it's a smother. Like, it's like that... not really modal, is it? Like, yeah, it's it's bounce the thing you weren't allowed to kill otherwise. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there are things you would rather bounce. Like, you can bounce your own stuff. So this is a uh, an unsummon and a smother together. Which is better than a smother. Unfortunately, no one's playing that card. I don't, is smother even modern legal? I don't think it is. I thought, I thought it was. Is it not? I don't think, we'll be, I don't think people would be playing it, even if it was. <laughs> no, but I, I don't think it is modern legal. Yeah, well, bummer. So, yeah, Tyrant Scorn um, kind of stood out to me at first. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I think it doesn't really stand a very harsh scrutiny, unfortunately. So unlike the other cards we talked about, I don't think this one really ever had a chance of getting off the ground. But I wanted to at least mention it because um, I feel like in the last couple sets, um, Grixis has been getting a lot of interesting modal cards. Um we had, I believe it was Bedevil in the last set uh, for, I think it was Black, Black Red. Do you remember that card? No. Don't remember Bedevil? Oh man. How do you, how do you not remember Bedevil? Here, look it up real quick. 
but devil is a black black red for an instant it says destroy target artifact creature or planeswalker so it is uh it's an instant speed dread bore that also gets artifacts for an extra black mana so it's like another card we we're going to mention but the one mana and therefore better yep uh that card would be how do you supposed to say this guy's name angra angrath 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 yeah, rampage it's red yeah. black choose one modal cards you love them it's uh, a sorcery <laughs> target player sacks an artifact target player sacks creature target player sacks a planeswalker yeah so this is the same card as bedevil but it costs one black mana less it's a sorcery instead of an instant and it's an edict instead of a target so bedevil i think is very playable in standard i don't know if bedevil really is playable in modern and it sure as heck hasn't showed up in modern in the you know few month or two how many months has it been since uh allegiance came out now a couple months yeah months? seen zero months. yeah do you think that taking a mana off and stepping the card down slightly makes it playable is it like a no no <laughs> yeah I so, don't. So this this card is like interesting. It's like because it's it's like the new. It's an edict that's slightly more flexible because it's planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. But it's also the same mana cost as Dreadbore. Yeah. So if you were worried about planeswalkers, Dreadbore just kills it, and they're both sorceries. Yeah. I guess it also artifacts. But like, how many decks have just one artifact you were worried about that you can just hit with an edict? Yeah, like what Amulet of Vigor is the only one that comes to mind. Because against Tron, they have random eggs. Right against the Prison decks, they have random garbage laying around. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you're so desperate for an artifact destruction effect in a red black deck when you have Colagon's command basically as an instant lock in those decks, right? Yeah, and there's not really any artifacts that have hexproof or you know protection or some weird clause like that. It does get around, well, not really. I was going to say it gets around um, Welding Jar, but they just would sack the Welding Jar to this. So, yeah, Welding Jar still gets the job done, to be honest. <laughs> so, this kind of leads into the thing I was getting at, and that Grixis seems to be getting these really flexible, interesting cards that are just, just not quite there for modern. <laughs> Um, and it's unfortunate. Some might say that's just where the deck is in modern. Yeah, just not quite there. It's a real bummer because uh, I think of cards like Counter Squall, right? And Counter Squall sees play here and there in, in Grixis decks. And Counter Squall's you know pretty playable, right? It's a it's a it's a negate. It's a little bit better negate. Um, and that's like good, but these cards are not not quite to that level, right? They're you know, uh, they're either at sorcery speed, like Angrass Rampage, overcosted like Bedevil, or just a little bit too limited on what on what they hit, like in the case of uh, Tyrant's Scorn. And I wonder, you know, what what would be needed to to kind of give these cards a shot in the arm to actually actually make them playable. Um, and since I think Angrass Rampage and Bedevil are so similar, I assume the answer is just give it instant speed but also i mean you, <laughs> i guess like you're either printing a strictly redder dread bore if you if you make angross rampage just a just a destroy right so you've basically um you've obsoleted dread bore at that point 
Yeah, which is a rare. But if you make it an instant, like Bedevil, but also costing one less, that's like... If it's an edict, but instant, is it playable? Uh, it's not, definitely more playable. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> more playable. I'm still not convinced. It has to be Terminate out, right? Like, it just has to be a better card than Terminate to be good. Yeah. And I don't know if just snagging artifacts really gives it that that oomph it needs when you're a deck that's likely playing multiple copies of Colgon's Command. So, kind of a bummer. I guess you can't really take this type of card and really and really make it playable in in modern uh modern grixis but it's like do you expect them to just print more coligan's card command like levels of power no i don't so so that's kind of a hard space to be right better than these cards but not quite as good as coligan's command yeah it's hard like i'm not sure what they could really print to you know i mean maybe we're just supposed to be happy with you know the terminate versus dreadboard decision right and that's just as good as it gets. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird that we're in a place where red, black, kill something, can't regenerate just isn't playable, really. Yeah. I mean, it's playable, I, but no one plays it. I mean, you could creep a dreadboard to, to instant eventually, I guess, down the line. You could eventually end up in a world where that's a, that's a card. Instant speed dreadboard. I mean, that's not game-breaking, right? No. That is a strong card that would definitely have people's attention but wouldn't break open the format so maybe that's just what the answer is is just eventually they will print an instant speed dread war it's pretty gross though it is pretty gross <laughs> <laughs> but i mean they just they're printing in this set the uh the elder spell right for black black that card is absurd right destroy oh, yeah just destroys any, all no, the planes target planeswalkers yeah yeah you choose which planeswalkers they all go away and then it uh just stacks some loyalty on a planeswalker you control if you have one laying around for black black <laughs> speaking of strictly better cards um we have return to nature yeah it's a modal spell look it destroys yeah. target artifact choose one destroy target artifact destroy target enchantment exile target card from a graveyard yeah, that's cool, because I think there's decks that actually did kind of want naturalized type effects, right? And uh, this lets you roll them in as Grave Hate at the same time, which is pretty nice. Yeah, so I mean, granted, exiling one card from a Graveyard is not the most powerful form of Grave Hate, but the flexibility is there, right? Yeah, instant speed, flexible, Um, kind of reminds me in a very very vague way of rakdos charm just in that it's a three mana instant sideboard card with three modes or i'm sorry a two mana instant sideboard card with three modes yeah uh and i always i always like those cards that that did a lot of different things as a uh a cheap instant speed sideboard option that were also this depends <laughs> on your um your sideboarding philosophy right whether you want um these modal kind of catch-all sideboard cards or do you want these super specific um very hateful yeah cards do you want swiss army knives or sledgehammers right (laughs) yeah like you know do you do you want rectus charm or do you want rest in peace yeah (laughs) exactly 
Do you want Reckless Storm or do you want Shatter Storm? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, sometimes you just need uh, you need layers, right? And uh, Rectus, cards like Reckless Storm really you know give you a lot of options in minimal space in a format that really kind of strains your sideboard. So uh, having more options is good, and I'm glad that we have this one in our uh, our tool chest now. Yes, but uh, it was nice knowing you naturalize. Yeah, that card's been around for a hot minute. Is that in ABU, or did that come a while afterwards? I, f I forget. I think it's a day one card, isn't it? Let's let's have a look here. Naturalize. Survey says, view all prints is a very long list. <laughs> um, This is saying Onslaught, which can't be right, right? <laughs> Anyways, though, so uh, not as old as we thought, but been around a while. <laughs> but uh, speaking of, I don't want to say strictly better cards, but uh, upgrades, we've got our, our list of cards that we are much more confident we'll, we'll see play. And I think the top of that list, maybe not the top of the list, but the, the one that we have first up on the list is uh, Dovin's Veto. And man, I got, I got excited when I saw this card. <laughs> Yeah, I think we may have mentioned it um, before, but um, it's it's blue-white negate that can't be countered. I always liked me a counter flux, um, and and having it in a little bit more applicable colors, blue-white, is uh, is pretty nice. Uh, I definitely see myself in blue-white decks just subbing out negates for Dovin's veto. Oh yeah, it's pretty easy. Yeah. And I, uh, I've picked up, uh, I have signed negates by two different artists now, so that's a bit of a bummer. Because <laughs> I don't think I'll be playing with them in blue-white decks anymore. I guess I'll still have them for my Grixis and, and Rug decks and such, and my uh, Izzet decks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, negate will still be a card that is played here and there. Like, Amulet's been sideboarding negates. It's always about Amulet. <laughs> Yes. So uh, I don't think there's a lot to talk about with Dovin's Veto other than the fact that uh, it's pretty solid and it's probably going to be showing up a lot. Uh, not in high numbers, but I think it's, uh, it's a non-zero amount. A non-zero amount. And man, this card is going to be a showstopper in, uh, in the, the, the blue-white mirrors. Um, just getting to say no. Um, this is a perfect example of a, uh, I guess you call it a defensive counterspell. Your opponent casts a big scary planeswalker and you get to just veto the shit out of it. <laughs> no, sir, I would not like you to have a Jace the Mind Sculptor. Although, it's a no from me. Yeah, you know, though, the one the one way to get around this card, the one counterspell that does actually interact favorably with Dovin's Veto, is Remand. Well. On your own card. <laughs> it depends on what you, what you mean by interacts favorably. So yeah, you can Remand your own spell. That will fizzle the Dovin's Veto and keep your spell for later. But if you want it to resolve right now, Remand still is not going to get the job done there. Not Unless happening. you have enough mana to just recast it after Remand. Yeah. But I think in control in control mirrors, though, um, uh, remanding your own spell in a situation like that is actually frequently quite good. Um, uh, it's better to remand a card that's being uh, Cryptic Command, obviously. Uh, you know, deprive your opponent of the two for one. But at least having the option to. Uh, to uh shit go back <laughs> it's gonna be nice with dovin's veto floating around so 
Um, Remand is not in a particularly good place right now, especially with Blue Red Phoenix being so predominant in the format. Um, but maybe uh, maybe it'll uh, have its time to shine again, and uh, I'd be interesting to see the uh, the interactions between those two cards. The first thing I thought you were going to say, you can redirect because you can redirect Dovin's Veto to redirect, and it will yes. counter it. Yes. Aha. Yeah, that Check one. I, that one I'm not so sure about, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> And you and you know the uh, the other answer to uh, to a Dovin's veto is uh, the next card on our list, and that's a uh, Teferi Time Raveler. <laughs> we talked about this card a lot, the uh, the the past cast, I believe. But yeah, this yeah. card deserves to be talked about a lot. <laughs> you know, if Teferi's around, there will be no vetoing at all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not by your opponent, at least. <laughs> yeah, they they can just sit over there and. You know, wait their turn just like everyone else. Yeah, uh, three mana planeswalkers are just so excellent in in, in modern when they're um, when they're powerful enough. Uh, and Teferi Time Raveler definitely looks like it it uh, passes that that threshold. Um, he deals with uh, offensive uh, permanents, artifacts, creatures, or enchantments, and draws a card for your troubles. And he gives you that uh, sweet, sweet cast sorceries as if they had flash ability, while also keeping your opponents pegged down to only casting stuff during their main phase. For the low, low price of one white, blue, and four starting loyalty going straight up to five, which uh, is comparable to Nicol Bolas, if you remember from our conversation earlier. <laughs> so while this Teferi does not have an ultimate that went into the game immediately, um... It has a much more relevant static ability. Mm -hmm. right. If you've ever played against a Teferi that does this to you, it sucks. <laughs> Mage of Zolifer? Yeah, so I I feel like being able to play your spells whenever you want is often taken for granted. And so when you're suddenly put in this position where you just aren't allowed to cast spells when you want to anymore, man, is it awful. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. Because we're talking about all these cards are like, oh, it's a sorcery, it'd be so much better as an instant. Yeah, well, all your instants are now sorceries. Yeah, that goes the other way. <laughs> yeah, go turn that around. And, uh, you know, some decks are going to be more impacted by this than others. You know, I feel like I feel like decks uh, casting a, a Colgon's command will be still somewhat okay with casting it at sorcery speed. But that's the uh, that's the best case. For playing against a Teferi Time Raveler, right? Um, turning off your opponent's counter spells in a uh, in a blue mirror is uh, pretty gross. They uh, they're quite unprotected at that point. Yeah, and they it also means they just can't fight over your counter spells either. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, I want to do a thing. No, oh well, damn. <laughs> it's basically Dragonlord Dramoka That's better. Better Lord Dramoka. Yeah. You know, they not only can they just not cast any spells on your turn, they have to ask for permission on their turn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even lets you do cheeky shit like uh thought sees your opponent on their draw step. <laughs> Which is pretty awful. And they can't even cast the card in response because 
they can only cast things during times they could cast sorceries. So they have zero recourse. And a draw step is not one of those times. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's a pretty gross combo. I wonder if this will uh, make Esper... Esper's already been kind of breaking out as a playable modern deck. I wonder if this will give Esper an even bigger shot in the arm. You can just snap policies them the next turn. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's pretty gross, honestly, being able to uh, exert that much control over your, your opponent's... Um, you know game plan like they're they're very limited in how they get to interact at that point and let me tell you Serum visions gets a lot better as an instant yeah <laughs> the cantrip we've always wanted i guess <laughs> someone pointed out that casting terminus off of Serum visions at instant speed was pretty sweet but i'm not so sure about that because you still draw first off of Serum visions <laughs> well you can use the Serum visions to to, to miracle yeah yeah that's that's nice but uh you still have to have and like a is a, gameplay. just is a better card than opt right yeah definitely at, in, at instant speed <laughs> so uh yeah it's very sweet we've we've kind of been over that i know there's uh another card that we have set aside that you're pretty excited about right chris uh yes that's because, a layout um, <laughs> here on mtg amulet cast we get excited for two things Big green spells, big dumb green creatures, and lands. <laughs> lots and lots of lands. And have we got a land here? Um, Blast Zone uh, enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it. Makes a generic color of mana, or a colorless mana, I, I should say. And you can, for double X, tap it to put X charge counters on it. So you can put more charge counters if you so desire. And then for three, you can tap to sacrifice it and destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Blast Zone. Looks like Team Rocket's blasting off again. <laughs> so it's <laughs> kind of like an EE that's not an EE but a land. Can't get tokens without help. Yeah, so... In chat, people were saying, oh, this can't kill tokens, and someone said, you can Vesuva it. That is incorrect. Vesuva will enter the battlefield with a charge counter on it. Womp womp. Um, <laughs> you would have to Thespian stage your Blast Zone to get it with zero counters, or, you know, some other malarkey, like Vampire Hex Mage, or Hex Parasite, or, you know, some other unplayable combo. Hex Parasite, <laughs> wow. That's a winner. So yeah, it doesn't kill tokens, but, um... Kills one drops real nice. Yes, indeed. So I can see this card being slotted into the deck. Um, uh, raises the question of whether it's a main deckable card. But, it um, is um, pretty nice that you still get the utility that EE had, where you can search for it with a Teleri West or find it off of an Ancient Stirrings. Yeah, so the the big obvious downside is um, you can't really pop at the turn you put into play unless you wanted to kill one drops. Yeah. So against a deck like humans, where you really want to kill two mana things, um, you'd have to wait a turn. Unless you had an unbelievable amount of mana and two amulets. And it came into play attacked. <laughs> yeah, it's a sticky one right there. At which point... Why do you need to kill the two drops? 
just kill them. Uh, another interesting thing is uh, Melee Mage does not interact with lands. Oh, that's true. So they can put as many Melee Mages as they want, and Blastone will still wreck them. Interesting. And I have it in the scenario at least once where my opponent had three Melee Mages. Primeval Titan, Walking Ballista, Engineered Explosives. That was pretty feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And I believe it was game one, so I had literally no recourse to that. <laughs> and Ouch. none of them were even imaged. They were just, here's three battling mages. So that was pretty gross. I couldn't, like, yeah, there's nothing I could do. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's pretty cheap, because you only need to put one counter on it. So it takes two, I mean, a, uh, a crew and this, or two lands in this yeah and so it comes into play untapped so you can just put the charge counter on immediately mm -hmm. and next turn pop it for, for two it's like a ratchet bomb almost and yeah uh, in those cases but i think this uh, is like much better than ratchet bomb in, at least in this attack oh yeah definitely right you don't have, so. you can tick it up more than once at a time and I it comes in with a relevant number this doesn't deal with chalice no. So that's a bit of a bummer. I feel like Amulet is definitely the big deck that this slots into, though. And I don't think Amulet is that concerned about Chalice, right? It's annoying. But it's not it's it's not the end of the world. You know what else is quite well, never mind. I was gonna say this is quite excellent against Blood Moon, but then I remembered it's a land. So it's yes, in fact it's quite terrible. It's in fact completely useless against ah, Blood see, Moon. <laughs> there's the trick. Um, you put it into play with a Blood Moon, and it doesn't have a counter on it. Ah. Then you remove the Blood Moon and kill their chalices. Got them. There you go. See, against the Modern Prison deck, they have play Blood Moon, you play a Blast Zone, then you Rexage their, um, their Mud Moon, and then you kill their chalices. Got them. Yeah. That's a combo. <laughs> but i i don't doubt that if this deck if this card sees uh play an amulet that that'll happen that's uh that's a pretty realistic play pattern i feel like actually it'll happen somewhere oh it's not happening every game but i see it happening enough to you know i mean uncovered I, someday <laughs> i think I, I feel like i've seen it all playing the deck and i'm still surprised yeah so <laughs> But no, yeah, I think this deck, this uh, this card's sweet. Yeah, this card is uh, pretty cool. I don't know how many other decks really can afford to to play Blast Zone. I mean, it's I feel like all the util colorless utility land slots in modern right now are basically consumed by Field of Ruin. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a hard sell to uh, to play a non Field of Ruin utility land these days with uh, with big mana floating around in the format. Yeah, and uh, travel deck playing Mutavolt, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But uh, if if you're playing a a deck um, that can uh, can afford to have some of its mana slots be utility lands, you're probably playing a mid range or control deck. Um, and if you're not, you're probably playing Mutavolt. <laughs> so I don't know if it's gonna see play uh, in any large numbers just because of that. But I think Blast Zone is definitely a cool tool to have in the old. Uh, the old bat utility belt. What the hell do they call that? <laughs> What's the term for Batman's utility belt? He has a it's just 
it's the bat something it's the The bat belt i don't know everything's a bat something in batman i don't know yeah (laughs) anyways let's abandon that terrible comparison and uh look at our our last uh for sure good card (laughs) ah yeah um another colorless card karn the great creator I think the only thing he's going to be creating is a lot of sadness for people to play against it in modern. So this card is um sweet. It's a uh, four mana, five loyalty. Uh, we're looking at you, Nico Bowles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he says activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated. So he's a one-sided null rod. Yeah, pretty good. He has two abilities, a plus one. To until your next turn, up to one target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness, equals converted mana cost. Animated dude. It's um parenthesis it's CMC. It's arguably not as good as um the Tezzeret making things a 5-5. But this has the additional cute interaction of potentially killing your opponent's zero mana artifacts like Chalice of the Void or Mox Opal or what have you. Kills Darksteel Citadel, right? Um, yes. <laughs> Indestructible does not protect you from uh, just being put into the graveyard to having zero toughness. State-based effects, I guess. Yeah, you make you indestructible, but if you're not very tough, uh, you gotta go. <laughs> and he has a minus two, which is you may choose an artifact card you own f- from outside the game or in exile, view that card and put it in your hand. So it's a wish or get back something from exile. That's an artifact. And snaring bridge. This seems quite good. I think it was what was it? Te- Tezzeret, master of the bridge. I feel like this this is the real owner of the title, master of the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> of the ensnaring bridge, yes. Yeah. Oh. God. So. There's so many, like, narrow, hateful artifacts. And if you're playing a deck that is interested in playing hateful artifacts, this Karn is going to be real good. Yeah. (laughs) Get you a Pithy Needle, or a Spyglass, or a Chalice, or an Ensnaring Bridge, or Topor Orb, Wishbane, like, whatever. Whatever (laughs) you want. Yeah. Yeah, he's got... Ugh, Yeah. Um, this is so about many um, this card going and getting a Michael Synthalatus to yeah. just shut your opponent out of the game completely. It's oh, pretty, yeah, it's pretty absurd. You can even just get like some, you could go get a Blightsteel Colossus. <laughs> I mean, you could. You can get anything, man. Yeah, why not? Worm Coil Engine. <laughs> Dragon's Claw. Dragon's <laughs> dragon's claw is there not a better thing to be playing once you're already at four mana i feel like maybe what not. Do you want, sun droplet no that <laughs> card's really bad i need like a double dragon's claw it's like those uh those really bad altars people make it's five to fairies carrick's <laughs> thumb yeah carrick's thumb wow yeah i need double dragon's claw gain two every time Oh, you, you can go get a sort of um, fire and ice or batter school. Look, it's it's basically Stoneforge Mystic. Oh man, how did we miss it? There you go, everyone. 
Four mana Stoneforge right here. Yeah, it's great. It's just play this and some Squadron Hawks and you got a deck. Yeah, Squadron Hawk protects the Karn. I mean, they play their Batter Skull. They can't even equip it. Look. Oh, man. And you know what? If your opponent kills your Hawks, you just plus Karn on the sword and hit them with the sword. You can plus on a sword and equip it with another sword. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's so bad. Although, you are not allowed to equip yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, if you, if you animate it, you're not allowed to use it. You equip it to anything else. Is that how that works? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to equip creature artifacts. So, like, if you install artifacts, uh, your cranial plating, you are not allowed to equip it to something. Rip. Why would you want to? Because it might have more than five power if you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, big scissors. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up our our cards that we're quite sure are good, and then we've got we've got a couple that we think are well, almost good enough, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, probably, probably good enough. They they might be playables, maybe somewhere. <laughs> maybe I think I think Sahili's the uh, the one that really stands out to me is the probably playable somewhere, and by somewhere I mean vintage. Yeah, so Sahili's pretty cool, actually. Um, she's a three mana planeswalker, which is good news, and she's. Two hybrid, so pretty easy to cast. She's one hybrid blue red, hybrid blue red, and says whenever you cast a non creature spell, you get a one one called a servo artifact creature token. So, much like Monastery Mentor, you get a thing whenever you cast any non creature spell. She's like somewhere between Mentor and Pyromancer, basically, right? It has a little bit, has half of each each one of their abilities. Yeah, so you get a one one, but doesn't have prowess, but you get it off of any non creature, not just instances sorceries, so all your artifacts. We'll make little servos. Mox Emerald. <laughs> Mox Ruby. Yeah. Soaring. She's, she's got a five loyalty, which is a pretty healthy amount. And um, only has one ability. She's an uncommon planeswalker. Uh, target artifact you control becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature you control until end of turn. Except it's an artifact in addition to other types. And it's a minus two, so you get to use it twice. Yeah, so you can turn your mocks into whatever else you have laying around, or turn your servo into and your servo into whatever else yeah. you have laying around. She's uh, functionally, in most cases, I'd say a, a pyromancer analog that can't attack or be killed with doomblade effects. Yeah, so her minus two is not particularly impressive, um, but you make a dude and. Um, it is harder to interact with than a, a monastery mentor. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I think a lot of these decks in vintage, at least, are kind of core blue red, and they were, you know, stretching into white as a third color for mentor. And this is uh this is an option to stay in two colors. And uh, I believe mentor has been restricted now, hasn't it? Um, I I couldn't say. <laughs> I think they did restrict mentor. If I'm not if I'm not crazy. I guess a quick search would answer yeah, that. Question. I'm looking it up. It is restricted in vintage. 
What a card. It is kind of crazy to me that a three mana creature from Fate Reforged got restricted in Vintage. But to be fair, Prowls is pretty absurd. Yeah, it's a good And mechanic. making creatures that also have Prowls is pretty absurd. Yeah. Yeah, especially in such a, you know, a, a non-creature heavy format like Vintage. Um, triggering off of uh, all your random mana rocks is pretty gross. And being a um, three mana spell isn't the end of the world in a format full of jewelry. Yeah, that's true. Doesn't get mental misstepped. <laughs> Neither does your jewelry. So good. Yeah. Then I think the uh, only other card we had slated to look at was uh, Ugin. New Ugin. Yet, yet another Ugin. I feel like we've had Ugin. a lot of... Nugin, yeah. So we've uh, got another Ugin now. This one's six mana, so a little cheaper than the last one. Um, and you know, He makes the other Ugin also six mana. <laughs> yes. His static ability is colorless spells you cast cost two less to cast. It's, uh, it's a pretty pretty powerful ability. and uh, he's It's like I have Ugin. <laughs> yes. Very flavorful. <laughs> it's literally I have Ugin. He has two eyes, though, so I feel like you should get an even bigger reduction. Get minus four off. Oh my Jesus god. Christ. Yeah, what a breasted card. Three mana cards. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> woo woo! Um, he has four loyalty. A lot of four loyalty walkers. Um, this one's much easier to cast than, uh, than Nicobolus, even if he is six mana instead of five. Uh, his plus one says exile the top card of your library face down and look at it. Create a 2-2 colorless spirit creature token. When that token leaves the battlefield, put the exiled card into your hand. That is a that is a strange form of card advantage right there. I'm not I'm not even sure what it, what really what card really compares to this. It's like um a whisperwood elemental. Yeah, that manifest was kind what came of. to mind. It it reminds <laughs> me of manifest, right? <laughs> yeah, but the manifest like you can only recap flip it over if it's a creature. This yeah. just doesn't even put him into play though. It just puts it in your hand, so Yeah, it's a doozy. <laughs> but you can get um, non-creature cards. Yeah, and two twos are pretty good. I guess. And it pluses to do it. His minus is a minus three, and it says destroy target permanent that's one or more colors. So basically destroy a non-artifact permanent. <laughs> yeah so this ugin seems quite good right but it's just not as good as the eight mana ugin yeah and i feel like most decks pretty absurd yeah i wonder you know what deck you really want to be playing a six mana walker in that isn't drawn although you know in swans we play a uh, worm coil engine in the sideboard sometime so maybe uh, maybe we could uh, show up with an Ugin the Ineffable in the sideboard someday. <laughs> I think our battle school will cost three mana. Ah, oh, so good. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That this just seems worse than Rawls Eric at that point. <laughs> to be honest, to be perfectly honest, I think Rawls Eric is more what I'm in uh, in line for in Swans. So. Yeah, I feel like Tron is one of the few places this card really would have a home, and I'm I'm not buying it in Tron, right? I think Tron would be more likely to play Karn, the the Great Creator. Yeah, 
So I don't know if uh, Ugin the Ineffable uh, has a home in modern as of yet, but he, uh, he's got some powerful stuff going on, so maybe someone will figure something out. So he's on the... Uh... Like, just, just think about this card for a second. Like, sorry Ugin, but... but... <laughs> Let's say you're playing it in Tron, right? The turns are you played the small card. Oh, thank God, that's not the big card. Yeah, well, he played this and got a no stone and played that too. <laughs> you're like, uh. <laughs> huh. So if you don't kill it immediately, he just goes get some other big dumb artifact and then nukes your entire board. Yeah. Uh, does, uh, I didn't look. Does, uh, it's an artifact game. Or an artifact card. So you can't get, you can't get any kind of, like, lands, really. No. <laughs> That's, uh, you can't ramp yourself with Karn, the great creator. It was in your hand, right? It doesn't just shit it on to play. Yeah, yeah. You can't go, like, find Tron lands or something. <laughs> but I'm also adorable, like, so the, the best way to just get rid of uh, Mongol Engine is to Path to Exile it. Karn just brings it back. Round two. Back from exile, just, you know. Yeah. He doesn't want his friends leaving, you know, just keeps bringing them back. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just don't see new Ugin having a home right now. But uh, I think he's a good bench warmer. It's a powerful effect, right? And uh, slots into any deck interested in playing him with his uh, zero colored mana cost, although he definitely rewards colorless decks much more. Um... Man, I wonder... It's like, would, if Eldrazi Tron becomes a deck again, will they be more interested in this Ugin? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking just about Eldrazi right now, yeah. Making your Eldrazi cheaper. Because uh, Eldrazi Temple is colorless. Use it only for a colorless spell, no, right? No, only for Eldrazi spells. It's so only Eldrazi. It doesn't work. It specifically <laughs> yeah. says Eldrazi. Gotcha. It was I of Ugin that made colorless stuff cost less. Yes. And that's, that is a band in the format. Be gone. Yeah, I wonder in a world where Eye of Ugin stayed legal and Eldrazi Temple got banned, if this would see play in uh, that kind of deck. Two mana, Thought Nuts here sounds pretty decent to me. And then if you have Ugin and your Eye of Ugin, then you have zero mana, Thought Nuts here. God. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. One mana early smashers? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Anyways, this is to get back into the real world. Um, so kind of moving past our specific cards that we were kind of interested in, uh, we were talking about just taking a broad look at the three mana planeswalkers being printed in the set. Uh, we already talked about Sahili and Teferi, which are kind of the cream of the crop. But there's another 12 three mana planeswalkers being printed in the set, which is kind of absurd. Um, and three mana has uh, traditionally been a spot where um, planeswalkers can kind of stand out uh, by, you know, just getting uh, repeatable value into play uh, early in the game in such a fast format. And just kind of want to do a, a quick, quick sweep through these and see if anything else stands out. Um, the first one, do you, how do you want to go through these, Chris? Do you want to hit on each one real quick, or you just want to kind of point out ones that kind of stand out? I think 
take a while to kind of go through all of yeah them. i just mentioned ones that it seemed like there there's some potential there yeah um so Gideon Blackblade is the um, the one mythic three man planeswalker that we have here. Um, we talked about him a little bit before. I don't think he's quite as good as your other Gideon options, but he's more an, he's a more aggressively slanted Gideon. Yeah, he's always a creature, and his pluses to give another creature you control vigilance, lifelink, or indestructible. Pick one. And has a minus six of Exile and all that problem. But he's always a creature during your turn and prevents all damage dealt to you. So you don't have to spend your your loyalty or your um your plus on making him a creature. My verdict on this one is getting to the trials is just better most of the time. Yeah. But um I I would imagine standard this is a very good card. Yeah, definitely. Um Ashiok is uh, caught some people's eyes, uh just for her static ability that prevents uh, opponents from searching their library. Yeah, so she's a static shadow of doubt for your opponent. It's a uh, abilities your opponents control, though, unfortunately. So you can't uh, can't path or uh, ghost quarter them and uh, and uh, gain an advantage that way with Ashiok. But she turns off fetch lands, which is pretty good. Mm. She also. Uh, has an interesting mill ability that also exiles graveyard. So she's got some interesting applications. She's and it is a minus one with five loyalty. So it's mm -hmm. one of the the abilities you can actually use a, a lot of times. She represents twenty milled cards if she's uh uninterrupted with, which is a pretty good rate in a in a mill deck, although quite slow. Very slow. But uh not being able to search the library is uh is pretty nice. Um, combos with your archive traps. Uh, you control that, right? So it wouldn't work. No, no. But if they can't search, then you're you're not trapping them. Oh, well, you just go score to them. They just don't search. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they can. Yeah. Field of ruin. I'm sorry. Field of ruin is a must. Yeah. Anyway, onwards. Um. <laughs> uh. Devrel, Rogue Shadow Mage. I think he was uh, the uh, focus of one of the new newer uh, novella that came out of uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, written by I think it was like Brandon Sanderson, uh, well known author, fantasy author. Uh, I think is I think Devrel is is I think his creation. Um, so it's cool to see him already showing up in Planeswalker form, and I think it's the literally the next set since that that novella came, uh was released i think it came out actually between this set and uh the last one so he's already showing up um and people have been talking about using him in eight rack um yeah as like um an option for it's definitely a budget option for Leon on the veil yeah being each opponent's upkeep with that player has one or more one or fewer cards in hand he does two damage to him and then he minus ones to to discard he has three loyalty so he can do it twice if you want to keep his static ability for three mana um he is definitely a budget option to liliana although his static is a little bit more on uh, on flavor for the deck so yeah um as someone who's never played it right before i can't tell you if the deck needs more rag effects or more repeatable discard effects but lucky for you he's both um, but three men is a little steep for a Raven's crime. Yeah. 
So I'm not sure about that one, but uh, I'm sure people will try to try to make it work. Uh, moving down, we've got the uh, the Domri, which is a pretty standard Domri. I don't think he's anything special. We kind of talked about him earlier before the cast. He doesn't really. Wow. Yeah, I think it's really hard to print um, green, red planeswalkers um, because I think Wizards is trying to slant it as like you know this beast-ridden, you know, aggressive, fight him, beat him up type of strategy. And those decks don't really want to be playing things that aren't creatures. On turn three, no less, right? Yeah. And they already got a really excellent um, enchantment in Standard recently, the one that gives things Riot. Yeah, Rhythm of the Wild. That card is just so much better than Domri. Yeah, so Domri's plus adds a red or a green, and creature spells you cast this turn can't be countered. Rhythm of the Wild says creatures you control can't be countered. Yeah. Like, it just, it just says that. That is the text on the card. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just don't think Domri really impresses even in standard, let alone modern. Um, and most of the others are just kind of cute. Yeah, cute. I like, uh, I kind of like Narset. She's, uh, she's cool, but not, not in, not in standard or modern. Well, not in modern. I think she's a cool EDH card, though. Each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. Yeah. For three mana, five loyalty. She minus, minus two is like search for Scanta. Yeah. So that's cool. And you have more ways to manipulate counters in EDH decks, especially decks that would play her, so you can kind of put more counters on her, keep using her every turn. You can actually derive a, a pretty healthy amount of value from her in the right deck, right? Yeah, like a Traxa or something. Proliferate yeah. your, your counters or whatever. So she's cool. And then um, we, I guess the other, there's like two others that kind of stand out. There's uh, Teo, the Shield Mage, two and a white, five loyalty. You have Hexproof. And uh, he minus twos to make a zero three wall with Defender. So we get to make two walls and have Hexproof for three mana. Um, not the worst rate, not the best rate, but um, having options to give yourself Hexproof that aren't Leyline are cool. Yeah. It's it's just not a ley line. It's just not a ley line. Yeah. But uh he is more resilient to the type of hate cards people bring in against stuff like that. You know, you're not gonna get uh disenchanted. So that's nifty. And he makes blockers. I don't know. I don't think he'll ever see play in uh in a top performing deck, but he's the it's the kind of card that ends up in sideboards and sometimes even main decks of really, you know, kind of fringe uh, FNM decks that people build for fun. So I think he's got a, a cool little spot there. Um, if they hadn't changed the rule, then him giving Hexproof would have protected himself from bolts as well. Oh, that's true. That would have been quite good. But unfortunately, that is no longer the case. Yeah, that would be much stronger. That's unfortunate. Because yeah, then he would protect all your other planeswalkers too. Yeah, and you know they could have easily said you and Teo, the Shield Mage, have Hexproof or something along those lines. So or you and other Planeswalkers you control. Mm, well, that wouldn't protect him. Yeah, but I mean, he shields the rest of you, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So yeah, I mean, he's an uncommon, so they didn't want him to be too powerful. I actually really like his design. Um, it's funny because I was talking about how I thought he was a lot cooler than Gideon as a White Walker, uh, and then now Gideon apparently is 
you know, spoilers, dying <laughs> during the set. Um, so I, d- I very much doubt Teo is taking Gideon's place, but I can, uh, I can hope. <laughs> I think they're bringing back Elspeth, though, since uh, Nicobolus is, uh, spoilers, being defeated. Um, I'm I surprised th- to be sure. I think we're probably going to get the Phyrexians coming back, and that means we're going to maybe see uh, Elspeth again, since her lore is pretty tightly interwoven with uh, Phyrexia. So I would definitely like to see a return of our, our favorite white lady. But, see uh, some new-er Phyrexia. New-er Phyrexia. Newest Phyrexia. New and improved so instead of Frexian mana, we're going to have, um, what, like Frexian power? <laughs> Just going to be another resource like energy. Because that went oh, so God. well last time. Anyways, moving through the uh, three CMC walkers, we have, I think, one last one. And that's uh, not Tybalt. That's uh, Vivian, Champion of the Wilds. And Chris, I'll let you talk about this one because I know you were kind of uh, excited about Well, not excited, but uh, interested in her. Yeah, so uh, creatures. You blah, blah, blah. you may cast creature spells as though they had flash. Um, kind of an interesting effect in the good old stupid mono green devotion deck that I forced someone to play when we did the swap. Um, I think being able to play cards in speed would be sweet in that uh, that deck, mm-hmm. and this would give you a way to do that without having to play something like Yeva. Um, she kind of falls to the same issue that that uh, Domri has the right that a three mana walker and your creature beat down deck is not always the best i mean you're much less of a creature beat down deck than the domri decks yeah and uh but, and um, she has much more relevant abilities than domri does i think as well i mean her plus one is arguably not that great i mean so up to one draw creature gains vigilance and reach Whatever. not that exciting yeah. um but, permanently though or is it, i'm sorry it's until your next until turn. your next turn yeah so you can attack with your rubber elf and then use it for mana i don't know not that exciting. But the minus two, um, it's... We all said that Oath of Nyssa was, like, really bad ponder. This is, like, bad Oath of Nyssa. So that's <laughs> that's saying something. Yeah, we're, we're several degrees removed from a good card at this point. So uh, you look at the top three cards, you exile one face down, put the rest in the bottom, and then as long as it's still exiled, you can look at it, and you can cast it if it's a creature. How funny would it be to get, like, your... your face down card processed by like an Aldrazi. <laughs> that would be rather upsetting. <laughs> I think the odds of it happening are pretty low considering I don't think this card's gonna see a lot of play and the, neither are processor. No, the pro- the processing Aldrazi deck is kind of gone now. It was like really big for a hot minute. So I wonder I wonder somewhere in the world it's gonna happen, but it's gonna take a little while probably. But I, I would love to have be a fly on the wall for the first time that happens. <laughs> yeah, so honestly, I feel like they could have just removed the plus one. It gave it five loyalty, have the same minus two, and make it uncommon, and it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, better better even. But instead, it has a plus one that's not very relevant in um, Surveyor. I guess it's not better, even. It's, uh... It's about the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this can plus, I guess, and theoretically get you a third activation. Yeah, I mean, maybe having reach is relevant at some point. Probably not. You never know. <laughs> Anyways. Man, I just have, like... 
wet dreams about flashing a Hornet Queen in mid-combat. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and then you can finally make use of the fact that Summoner's Pact is an instant. Oh, wow. Got him. It's like, uh, go to combat? Yep. Uh, to attackers? Alright. Uh, move to blockers? Uh, before the blocker step, I, uh, I'm gonna cast Summoner's Pact. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> I'm in danger. Nani? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty sweet. Uh, and so we got one little last bit of uh of news to talk about, and it's also related to Planeswalkers. This has been a very Planeswalker filled cast, and uh, Watsi announced. Uh, I guess it was today, right? Is today still the yeah? Mm, oh no, it was a couple days ago. Today. I'm sorry, it was a couple days ago. Time has passed me by. Uh, they announced, two, I guess, two days ago that um, in Japanese um, packs of War of the Spark, they are going to have a 50% chance of having an alternate art version of the Planeswalker in the pack um, with art done by a Japanese artist. So basically... I guess every pack of War of the Spark has a Planeswalker, and in your Japanese packs, 50% of the time, it's going to be an alt art only available in the Japanese language, and um, there's 36 different ones, because there's 36 different walkers, and uh, they're pretty cool. Um, some of them are really good, some of them are not. <laughs> and we had a little chat earlier about which ones we thought were good, and which we thought were not so much. So I think we have different favorites, but I think the worst is unanimous. Yeah, it's um, uh God, Nico Bulls looks terrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's I don't even know how to describe it. Like if someone asked me how to describe the style and what was bad about it, it looks like it looks like something from the He-Man era of cartoons. <laughs> He man, not like um Ultraman. Yeah, it's just bad. And what's crazy is how how similar the posing is to the actual art. So all all the other ones for the most part are are pretty like re they're like they're posed at least slightly differently than the original. Um, you know, the artists kind of put their spin on things. The Nicol Bolas alternate art is literally just a really poorly drawn version of of the other nickel Bolas art <laughs> it's it's not but it's like it's like a 3d rendition of the nickel Bolas art but it's drawn yeah so it's like this very kind of strange looking it's like when people try to do that that art style that emulates a 3d object like it's just bad it's so bad it's just terrible i don't even know how to describe it you should look it up when you're not driving Oh dear listener. And um I'll be surprised if you think otherwise, but I think we both agree this is the worst one of the lot. If you think otherwise, please leave us a comment or something. <laughs> we have to know who yeah. that who, there's at least someone out there who actually who likes genuinely this feels this way. It's just bad. It's just really bad. So enough about the bad. What's your favorite? Which is your favorite one? My favorite one. Hmm, okay, let's see. Let me let me take a quick scroll through them again, refresh myself um it's kind of hard i actually kind of partial to a lot of them for different for different reasons right i think the one that really had and i think for a lot of people and i think watsi actually uh banked banked on this because they specifically 
um, note this artist in the in the announcement. That's uh, Yoshitaka Amano, who is the artist that's been doing the I guess cover art or promo art uh, for the Final Fantasy games forever, and uh, that artist did the alternate art version of Liliana, and oof, man, it looks good. Uh, it's just got that really iconic style. It's really nostalgic for me. I played the Final Fantasy XI uh, MMO and all the expansions, and every time you got a new one of the expansions, it had really sweet piece of art uh, art by this artist, and it's like, oh, it's just very nostalgic for me. Um, so I think that's definitely my favorite. It also just looks, I think, the most unique out of uh, out of all the art, all the alternate arts. You don't like Kaya? yeah uh that's not my favorite but it, it's it's uh it's my favorite for for different I, reason i didn't ask you what was the best i asked you what was your favorite it's not my favorite it is i think the funniest uh the kaya art looks like honestly speaking the artist just didn't know how to draw like a cartoon version of a black person and went looking for reference material and found the boondocks because <laughs> she looks 150 percent like a boondocks character like i i guess it's the forehead that really like sells it for me is like in the, it's the, the it's the forehead and the eyes this really looks like a boondocks character it's it's actually a good piece of art it just it doesn't really match up very well with a lot of the other uh art it looks like something from an american uh like a graphic novel or something almost <laughs> what's your favorite chris um I don't know. I I really liked um the Tamio. It has like this the scrolls coming out uh, of the frame and all. It looks like a a card from one of the Japanese TCGs, right? Where like they really break the card frame a lot. Like walkers do that in Magic, much, you know, and most of their cards do. I don't think anything else actually does other than walkers, but this Tamio yeah. is like way over the border. <laughs> it's like actually got a little cutout for the set symbol. <laughs> yeah, so like on the bottom of the planeswalkers is it's always kind of been the way it's like opaque and you can kind of see their legs through the the text. Mm -hmm. But this one has a scroll just straight up on like the type line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I also really like the Ashiok art. Yeah, the Ashiok's um, pretty good. It's it does a similar thing where it's coming coming out of the boards, but it's like smoke. So it has like this smoky effect over part of the name and the uh, the mana. Although you the know, mana's like blushed over it. Still but. not the least legible planeswalker in the set. The uh, original art Deverell, Deverell, or whatever. Oh yeah, it's you impossible. Can't you can't all. see his name. He just his head just like covers the name. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. Uh, yeah, one of these two, I'd say, are my favorite artworks here. Yeah. Oh, so his head—it's his smoke in that one too. It's just way thicker. Yeah. But uh, although yeah. um, Tybalt is uh, looking better than ever. Yeah, this is definitely the the best Tybalt Tybalt art I think that we've seen so far. He's a uh, very classy looking boy oh too bad he's still quite bad <laughs> you know you would think if they like actually bumped to bolt up up to being a three mana walker in a set full of walkers that like i just why couldn't we get a better to bolt like really like this is this is what we get i mean it's it is to bolt like it's bad what did we really expect yeah also you expect nothing and yet you are still disappointed yeah exactly yeah i also want to i want to shout out to uh the alt art teo who looks like he dropped straight out of like an isekai manga like 
I, for for listeners who aren't familiar with that that genre of uh, manga and anime, they tend to have very wordy and asinine titles. Like that time I was reincarnated as, and it's just like word vomit on the page, and it's like it's like almost like self-referential in the very title and it's like i look at this and it's like that time i was summoned to another plane (laughs) it's the time i was involuntarily summoned to another plane and tried to and my my spark was attempted to be harvested or something like that like i would not be surprised to see some like terrible isekai manga with like this is the cover and just some exceptionally wordy name (laughs) yeah but uh yeah, we've really well, got a lot the... of a lot of this artwork is is quite nice yeah. actually. You like the uh, the Ugin? <laughs> oh yeah, so the <laughs> the Ugin looks very much like um, it belongs on a Yu Gi Oh card. Yeah. So those of you who thought that um, the Invocation Pactification was a Yu Gi Oh card, this this is a Yu Gi Oh card. He's uh he seems to be stretching his arms somehow. He's got like speed lines on his arms. As he like moves his hands down very abruptly, like he's doing that stretch where you hold your arms out and you make little circles, but he's doing it menacingly <laughs> and with great velocity. Yes, <laughs> well, that's that's part of the menace. <laughs> Just cold, dead stare while he does the little arm arm circles. <laughs> I, I don't know. One of this art's kind of cheesy. Someone already took the Jace art, and he's like in the the Yu Gi Oh duelist pose, and they like photoshopped the like dual deck or whatever the thing is called onto his arm looks like he's ready to to throw down his grandfather's deck has no bad cards <laughs> would it be a typical dual disc or the um the one used by the people who would harvest your soul <laughs> yeah i don't know ah and before we finish up i just have to point out how bad i think i think that the hiri art is just terrible like the nickel bolus art is just bad but the Nahiri art is, I feel like, is is gives it a run for its money. I don't know what's so bad. I just something about it, like, you know, what it, it reminds me of. Uh, I realized just now, Chris, I was complaining about it earlier. Do you remember the um the stickers they had in like the little machines, at, like pizza parlors and stuff when we were kids? Uh, sure. Do you remember Bratz? Bratz. It was like Bratz of a Z. It was like uh, dolls for girls, and it was like edgy, and they had stickers and stuff all the time, and they were doing like edgy things in the stickers. That's what the Nihiri art reminds me of. It's like a brat sticker. As <laughs> Chris looks it up. <laughs> See, I remember... Oh, what the... F- okay, brats. <laughs> We're way out in the weeds. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just... Wow. I can't believe you remembered that these existed to make a reference to it. Yeah, man. I'm a 90s kid. What can I say? You are a man of culture. I am. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. The proportions are just really off in the art, and the pose is really strange. Uh, Yeah, it it feels very out of place. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't... There's some pretty varied art here, and this one still manages to stand out. But man, Hawali's pretty sweet. Yeah, Hawali's great. I'm all about the Hawali art. Just riding a dinosaur and shit? Yeah. Just like, well-drawn. Yeah. I'd read that manga probably be a monthly because it's drawn so well so you'd like forget what happened since the last issue and then one one quick shout out for about the uh, Sahili. it's uh very colorful yeah it is 
Um, she's got like this pinkish dress with some green on there, and then like rainbow. Yeah, it's it's much more colorful than just the red blue that that the card itself is. Um, most of the other cards tend to stick pretty tightly to the color palette of the card. Yeah, the actual art for Sihili is quite boring. Yeah, but but this artwork is much more colorful than yeah than most of the others. And these are actually going to be pretty easy to pick up, I think, at least the uncommons. Yeah, so um, 50% chance to get them in your Japanese product. I think there's a couple other ways. Uh, yes, they're like also... promo packs and stuff. They also stated that... Let me pull it up here. They stated that... It is also going to be available in Wizards Play Network promo packs during the Core Set 2020 play season, appearing in roughly one out of four packs. And they will only be available in Japanese. But worldwide. So you can get your weeb on no matter where you live. And um, I'm wondering how long it'll be before I see one of these actually played um, across the table from me. Probably be a while because I think a lot of these cards just aren't modern playable. If I played standard, I think it wouldn't take too long. But maybe I'll see. Uh, I bet I'll spy someone with one of these in an EDH deck before anything else, honestly. Depends on if Nintendo Dan shows up at FNM or not. Nintendo Dan. It's as soon as in his uh, language of choice as well. Yeah, they're not foil though, right? Nintendo Dan only does foils. I'm sure they'll have foils of this because they're in uh, normal packs. Oh, that's true. Those will be quite pricey then. Yeah, I would imagine they'd be quite expensive. Yeah, but they're still not. Wouldn't be as rare as like invocations or masterpieces or whatever. So that's true. Although those were available in all product, and these are only available in Japanese products, so I think that actually does up the rarity. Uh, yeah, I guess. And, and they're also not reprints of cards. Yeah, they, they right. say that they're going to be, um, they're making Japanese boosters available to retailers around the world. I don't know if that means they're increasing the Japanese print run to compensate for that. I would have to imagine so, right? I would think they would. Because they wouldn't just take product away from, from Japanese vendors and, and ship it around the world, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think. Hopefully not. That would be kind of shitty. <laughs> that would be... Or what, force more English product on the Japanese market? Though. Yeah, I don't know. So hopefully they print extra, and uh, these are easy to get because it is cool to have a little bit more variety in the art. And one of the things that's been kind of a bummer about Magic's art in the last, you know, I don't know, five five plus years is things have gotten a lot more homogenized. And um, I know not everyone's a fan of the the art style. I know the alternate art Jason Chandra's that came out a while back were not super popular with everybody, but um. There's a decent variety of art style in these in these promos and ranging from, you know, really anime-esque to more of a um graphic novel style um that doesn't really scream like Japanese art to me. So um yeah, it's kinda cool to have more options for, for art. Alternate art cards are always just cool. Although Mecha Karn would be sweet. Mecha Karn is is pretty sweet. He's not quite there. The Ugin looks more mecha than the Karn, right? <laughs> I'm saying like if, if Karn was like a more mech, oh, yeah. he'd be pretty sweet. He's got kind of a Dark Souls vibe instead. Looks like kind of Innistrad-esque. Which is not bad. With the lamps, yeah. I, I like it. Oh, the, oh, yeah, the lamp. The lamps give me a really... How long until Karn's um, altered to be a, a moth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not very long. Wow. Anyways, uh, getting out of our uh, our Japanese art uh, subject, I think we're kind of about done for the week. 
So let's uh, wrap things up with our slot of the week where we talk about what card or deck we're totally hyped for right now. Chris, what about you? Well, this is making a comeback. I figured might as well throw it back in the deck and give it a whirl. Hive Mind. Oh, an amulet card. Shocking. Oh, yeah. God, <laughs> all, Hive Mind. All reliable. The best stories involve Hive Minds. That's true. Uh, but Hive Mind is one of those cards that feels very bad to play against people who don't know how the game works properly. Because you have to explain to them why they are died. Why they are died. Yes, that is true. And they often don't believe you. <laughs> and you'll have to get a judge to also tell them that they, they have been diagnosed with dead. <laughs> <laughs> Although now with the rule change, it's I even more confusing. Name. I diagnose right? you with dead. <laughs> so now with the rule change, like your opponent can miss their pack trigger and then they won't get a game loss for it, but you'll have to point it out to them. It, it's an even bigger shit show than it already was. Is that possible? Yeah, because they changed like the mistrigger ruling and comp Oh, I, I just meant is it even bigger shit show? Because it was already a pretty big shit oh, show. Oh yeah, I... <laughs> yes, it's dead. God, I have mine. What uh, a card. Okay. Yeah. What a card. <laughs> what about you, John? What do you have to be playing? So, uh, I finally picked up two Jace the Mind Sculptor. Um, I did used to own a Jace the Mind Sculptor way back in the day. I opened it out of the only World Wake pack I've ever opened. <laughs> And uh, I traded it for a Gaia's Cradle, which I then sold once they spiked in value. So I was uh, came out pretty ahead on that trade, although I do wish I'd uh, hung on to the Cradle because they are worth significantly more now. <laughs> but uh, I finally managed to get my hands on uh, on some Jaces for an affordable price. And uh, I'm kind of casting my eyes around at uh, what I want to play Jace in. And of course, I've been playing a lot of blue-white decks lately, but uh, I'd kind of like to wait until next week to... Uh, to play a deck with uh you know teferi if i get my hands on any and dovin's veto and jace and all that jazz so i'm gonna i'm gonna probably hold off on blue white but um i'm thinking maybe like a grixis deck or something this week i don't know but uh it's probably gonna have jace in it um and i also picked up a, a chandra torture defiance um finally so you know maybe i'll just play phoenix and have the uh, chandra jace split in the sideboard that everyone's been doing and be happy that i can actually play like uh a tournament uh clone <laughs> cloned version of the deck without like shoving Rawl or uh Karanos into the sideboard, which are a little bit more clunky in a in a deck with that few lands. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, lowering my mana curve. Always always good. <laughs> so Jace definitely seeing play in one of my decks before we come back uh week after next. So but I think that uh, about wraps us up, unless you have anything else to add. It's time to hide behind some fools. Oh, yeah. Get them. All right. Well, we're not going to copy the uh, end of cast plugs, so I'll just read them once. Uh, thanks for checking us out and sticking around to the very end. If you're wondering where you can find out more of our content, you can head on over to mtgconflicts.com. You can support us and join the MTG Conflicts community at patreon.com slash mtgconflicts. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube under the same name. If you have any suggestions or comments you'd like us to read, please feel free to shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking around, and we hope you'll join us in the next one.